Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late. The train's Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. It's Employee of the Month with Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Employee of the Month. Excited to kick off 2017 with my interview with Sarah Kay, which was recorded live at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater. You're going to get to hear her sing with Arthur Lewis. And I really want to encourage you to listen to my interview with Arthur. Um, He's a formidable musician. And um, he actually wrote the song that they are playing and um, performing, excuse me. And you can picture me crying because I was brought to tears by um, the beauty of that song and and their performance of it. Sarah Kay, you may recognize either from Def Jam, where she appeared when she was 18 years old, and then her TED Talk, which garnered over 9 million hits when she was just 22 years old. She's a, a writer and a performer, most notably as a poet. Please go check out No Matter the Wreckage, her book on poetry. Um, it is as beautiful and such a distinct experience reading her as it is seeing her perform. It feels very separate even when it's the same poem. Um, And you will get to hear her perform spoken word poetry. I'm just so touched and excited about her because she's fun and smart um, and has chosen not only to cultivate her own voice, but to encourage others to as well in a very tangible way. She is a co-founder of Project Voice um, with her work husband, uh, Phil Kay. They are not related. And they also work with Franny Choi and Jamila Woods and Robbie Q. Telfer. And they go all over the world. And in fact, um, Sarah shares some of her experiences in 2016. Um, she made a video collection of those experiences, and she shares an app that you can make this similar connection. Well, excuse me, you can download and do for your own life. Um, might be something fun to do. So without further ado, here's my interview with um, Sarah Kay. You, first of all, you had unbelievably good handwriting for a five-year-old um, and I was so impressed, but you also had already started oh, poem no. poetry by then. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, that was actually not a poem. That was a very serious diary entry. Okay. Uh, it feels very poetic to a non-poet. Yeah. Um, yes, that was a, a diary entry from December 54th. <laughs> <laughs> 1993. <laughs> um, That's March. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How seasonally appropriate. Yes. Yeah. The real question I wanted to ask, though, is because your parents were not poets, mm-hmm. they're artists, they were photographers, but I think one of the things that I imagine is hard for parents, and I, when I was young, I won a ton of creative writing awards. No one ever did anything about it. And it's not like I had anything else going (laughs) on. Not that I'm bitter about it or anything. But I was so impressed that your parents were able to nurture it. And the truth is, is like when parents don't do, which mine didn't, they didn't do what I was good at. So in some ways, they, it's easy to miss things Mm. that kids are good at. So what I was impressed is that here was something that you showed a talent for so young, and yet they picked up on it. 
Yeah, although I think there's a, there's a slightly hindsight narrative. Yes. Which is like, oh, she was poet at, in, you yeah. know. It's just a good handwriting. Yeah, 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 that was it. Don't be fooled. Yeah. Um, and, and that I knew from Jump. But when I was a kid, poetry was just one of a lot of things yeah. that I loved. And they were just good parents and being supportive and saying, like, oh, you like poetry? Let's do poetry. You want to play soccer? We'll play soccer. You want to, you know, dance in the living room with scarves? We'll do that. Okay. Um, that took up a large part of my childhood was dancing in the living room with scarves. Um, but that make, that that is a hard, because I imagine it is hard for parents to figure out when to push and when not to. So I, I, that is good to know that they didn't push. It was oh, just, certainly not. I mean, I yeah. think even today, they're still surprised that I'm doing poetry. I mean, they're really supportive. But I think like still when you ask either of them about what I'm doing, they're like, yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. I think that's my mom's literal response. Like, yeah. It's wild that this is what she's doing. Um, so it certainly wasn't obvious and it certainly wasn't like this is where she's headed. Also just because who knew that being a poet was a possibility. Well, I think you're the only one I know who can make a living doing it. There's certainly, it's certainly not the obvious <laughs> path. Um, which I also want to say like growing up in New York, I didn't grow up here, and it seems, I mean, the fact that you could go to the Bowery Poetry Club at 14 years old, I mean, that seems so thrilling to me. Um, or did that not seem like a big deal growing up here? Yes and no. Yeah. I think the thing about the Bowery is that I accidentally, the first poetry slam I ever went to was a teen poetry slam, and they had rented out the Bowery Poetry Club for that event. And it captured me and I fell in love with it and I was like, I'm coming back every week. But what I didn't really understand was that they had rented out this venue for one night. And for the rest of 364 days of the year, it was a dive bar. Yeah. And my 14-year-old self was not meant to be in that space. And yet the poets there didn't mind and yeah. welcomed me and like it ended up being this, this magical place that I got to learn in and from. Um, so it did, it was not typical, certainly, um, but to me it was just like my, my clubhouse in some ways. It seems, it does seem magical. I remember meeting, I had a cousin who grew up in New York and her friend was in the Nutcracker here and I was, uh, I was older, I was 11 and her friend, she was eight and her, and so I, I was like, oh, I'm in the Nutcracker too and I was 11 and I was telling her I'm in the Nutcracker and her friend's eight and she goes, yeah, but it's not New York. <laughs> <laughs> and she was right on like a certain level, but she already knew that like if you can make it here, you Damn, can make at it like anywhere. eleven. Yeah, though. you're in regional theater there in DC, <laughs> and so that's sort of what I was alluding to. Was you know, were you aware of you're at the Bowery Poetry Club? This is where Allen Ginsberg went. This is where you know very phenomenal poets and Katie Lazarus, but you know where really excellent poets went. Yeah, it was much more, I think what was really important is that I was introduced to poetry as a communal art form. Yes. So it was much more about like the living, breathing poets who were performing Beautiful. every week that I got to see and listen to and kind of soak in like an apprentice. I really think I learned poetry apprentice model, which doesn't happen a lot anymore yeah. in any field. Um, but I would just watch and listen and watch and listen and watch and listen for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, and so I think, I think what had the biggest impact was less like, oh, what a historical thing to be a part of, yes. but more like, oh, look, look what a living thing to be a part of. I think, and that, um, you know, technology has been both a blessing 
for you personally, but I think I'm wondering if that's part of it, that people don't gather communally as much or as, you know, they might learn about things on the internet. It's so fascinating because I, I often think about the fact that my career, whatever that means, would not be possible in another era that there is so many times when I'm able to do a show and people will show up to, to come see the show and will have only seen me on YouTube previously, right? So they, they have found me because of the internet and how lucky is that? And yet, what's also neat is that having videos online doesn't mean that people are like, well, I don't really need to see this live. I yeah. could just watch it on YouTube. People still wanna come out and be in the room and breathe and, and share together, which is exciting. It's a whole different experience. And I'm just gonna give people context for those who don't know Sarah. Sarah was in Def Jam um, when you were about 18. <laughs> uh, Def Jam Poetry on HBO, and then um, gave this beautiful TED Talk, um, which you, I, you should see, but it got over nine million hits, and it was at the very beginning of TED Talks, and you were 22? Yeah, I thought so, you were gonna just pull like most the TED people. Talk out of the box. Yeah. <laughs> the TED Talk is right here. <laughs> Um, and this is, um, if, I, if I Should Have a Daughter with Seth Godin, who um, has also been on Employee of the Month. You can check out our podcast. He wanted to make sure that this got published as a book. And writing, you have three books, no matter the wreckage. Um, these books will also be for sale after the show if you guys want to um, come find Sarah at the end. And the type. <laughs> but really, I wanted to just ask, when, when you perform, because you do spoken word poetry and you're a writer as well, I guess they're both require writing. So you page, can read them at page yes. poet and yes. stage poet. How do you connect again when you've done them so many times, when you've performed these so many times, when you've you know drafted and edited these so many times? How do you stay emotionally present? It's cool because uh, if there's a poem that I've written that I know is for performance or meant to be shared live, then the poem itself to me doesn't exist on the paper, it exists in the performance and experience of the poem. So every time I'm sharing that poem, it's in a different space with a different audience, in a different mood, on a different night. And so it's a completely different poem to me, even if the words are the same. Um, and I can perform a poem that I wrote when I was 17 and have it feel completely different based on the room that I'm in. And, and it's really the, the live performance part of it that makes it new, and I don't know if it's that I'm re-experiencing what it was I was experiencing when I wrote it. It's more yeah. that I'm experiencing something new in it with the people who are helping me make a new thing right now. Well, so part of the way you make a living is not sitting at home eating bonbons. You are on the road about 300 days a year, um, and I was hoping you could share a poem um, from one of your travels. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, let me... Should I move? Yeah, I'm going to move over here. Um, so uh, I live out of a suitcase most of the time. And um, last year, while I was on the road at some point, my rental car got broken into. And um, a lot of my shit got stolen. And uh, for those of you who've ever been robbed or mugged or, or had your stuff broken into before, you know it really sucks. Um, and it especially sucks when you're traveling with like all of your earthly belongings in a suitcase. Um, but the, the nice thing about it is, you know, as long as everyone's okay, ultimately it's just objects and objects can be replaced and what's important is that everyone is, is safe. Um, but I was struck by the fact that um, the, the worst thing to me is that it really feels like a, um, 
a violation knowing that someone has like touched all your stuff and like been in your private sphere, which I really didn't like. And I was thinking about that specifically and then I was thinking about, um, I was taking inventory of the things that were stolen from my suitcase. Uh, and so I wrote this poem, uh, which is an open letter to whoever broke into my rental car and stole my vibrator. Perhaps I deserve this. After all, isn't my very ownership of this magic wand an act of theft, demanding something that isn't yours, that you have only coveted through computer screens and shop windows, the throbbing power you are not supposed to have? I too am guilty. I too have dreamed of owning what was not meant for me. I too have lusted after the high of a wide stance on a crowded subway. The buzz of a boardroom that will look me in the eyes. Who can be blamed for that desire? I'm sorry if you were misled. It was dark, raining. You must have thought those boxes were full of electronics or something of value instead of the poetry books that greeted you. How embarrassing. You left them all behind. I know because I counted. Left them drying in a friend's apartment. The ruined pages cracked and curling. You took my rain jacket. Smart. You took a pair of jeans, some underwear, my camera, this at least you can sell. And then I imagine you slid your hand along the lining of the suitcase until your fingers came to curl around that coy cylinder. I am sure that even in the downpour, you knew what it was. I wonder if you took it without pausing, whether it was an afterthought or the crown jewel. Did you stop to consider the body it once soothed? the drawers it was hidden in, the roommates it embarrassed? Did it redeem the broken window, those stupid poetry books? I wonder if you use it. I wonder what it means if you do. I will tell you one thing though. Sometimes when a man interrupts me or his hands are thunderclaps that roll in unexpected, when the broken glass and soggy poetry of me is not enough to stop his engine, sometimes there is a rush of blood to my face, a tightening of muscles. Sometimes I go lightheaded and my hands fist. Sometimes I envy your ability to take. Beautiful, please give a round more applause. met someone who is as gifted as an orator as they are as a writer and you really are equally deft oh, at both you. and the other experience is that reading your poems is quite different than hearing them um, just just in case you need some perspective um, you have so many fans um, and you are big in the Philippines yeah 
This is Sarah performing with her co-founder of Project Voice, who also has the last name Kay, but they are not Mormon. It is a, um, I guess I wouldn't, okay. But, but uh, they're not married. There's no consanguineal relationships. Consanguine? Consangue? Con it's been a college and grad school. No, I, yeah, it's been a long time. Yes, all of those things are true. How do I pronounce that word, guys? Consanguinity? Say it one more time. Consanguinity. Yeah. Okay, we have consensus. There is no consanguinity. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's from Manila uh, this past year. Uh, that was a, I think, 1,200 person audience. It's really, it, it, this is a really exciting photo, and mainly I have it just so that my grandkids will one day believe me when I say, like, yeah, I was a poet. They'll be like, sure, grandma. Uh, but it really isn't like this most of the time. I mean, it, only in the Philippines, really, is it like this. Sold out that she had to have a second night um, set up, and you, that's not true that it's not always like that, because I saw a fan, you, you already have fans making tattoos. Oh. Yeah, I was so impressed. Yeah, that's, yes, that's also true. I mean, you're up there with John Lennon. <laughs> I know, I like that it sort of looks like John Lennon wrote that line. Yeah. Which, like... Do you want to see this for real, or yeah. should yeah. I? <laughs> I thought it's down. We still have to do a belt for it. Though. Sorry, the sweater's going to go down the side. Yeah. Um, will you just read the, the lines on it? Yeah, but I've seen the best of you and the worst of you, and I choose both is a line from a poem that Phil and I do together um, that is actually about friendship um, and not romantic yeah. love, and yet people often <laughs> use it in romantic contexts. But that, that ha We had Stephen Merrick on the show who, from Magnetic Fields, and is a beautiful song that is not meant to be a romantic song and many people play it at their weddings. 51% um, <laughs> divorce rate. I don't know if they played the song. Um, but you do um, really quick, because um, I, I want to make sure that we have time um, for a special treat with you, but, but I also wanted to just plug um, Project Voice because yeah. um, I'm so proud of the work that you do. Oh my God, this photo though. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that is an old photo that you found, um, and <laughs> that the, happens. The organization is is still um, is still rocking and rolling. Project Voice is the organization that uses spoken word poetry as an education tool um, in schools and in classrooms and communities around the world. So most of my year is spent traveling from school to school to school, performing and teaching, and that's why I'm on the road all the time and why I live out of a suitcase. Um, but I get to spend a lot of my time with young people and getting excited about poetry in a lot of different corners of the world, which is cool. I have to just um, tell you how excited I am that you do that, that you've chosen to not give up your art and be an artist but also ensure that other people have a chance to discover their art as well. And I think for a lot of people, if they got famous very young at 22 to be, uh, you know, have over 9 million hits on their um, TED Talk and to have Deaf Poetry Jam and all of these opportunities, they may have been pushed to really just sort of focus on their own career in a way. And I just love that you've managed to do both. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that spoken word poetry was what arrived to me as a teenager and what was the gift that helped me shape my whole personhood, yeah. that it is, is both instinctual and obvious and necessary to continue trying to bring it into the, those spaces so that other young people can find it. 
um, yeah, it's my, it's my greatest joy and hardest work. <laughs> We're gonna bring Arthur out for you to be able to sing a song because as you said, you had a lot of skills and we didn't have time to get you. Did I say that? Did I say I had a lot of skills? At the beginning, you said when you were four, you were oh, also like sashing around the living room. Don't remember saying with that. With scarves and sure. we thought about showing off the scarves, but instead yeah. we were like, why doesn't um, Sarah sing one of the most beautiful songs? <laughs> And uh, yeah, so can we welcome Mr. Arthur Lewis? Hi, Arthur. Hi. So Katie mentioned this really briefly, but um, everything I know about being a performer on a stage, I learned from attending Freestyle Love Supreme shows when I was a teenager. Um, absolutely everything I know about being a performer, true life. Um, and uh, I used to say that if I had a poster on my wall as a teenager, um, it would have been uh, poster of these guys. And then I discovered that I actually have a poster. It doesn't have your face on it, but it has a, it's a Freestyle Love Supreme poster that I had from when I was 15. So um, all that is to say, I also write music only with the intention of making Arthur Lewis <laughs> sing it <laughs> with me. Um, great. You know, I do have a poster from our... Uh, from our show? From our Ars Nova show that we oh, did snap. in like 2005. Just a big picture of me if you want it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Good. That's not weird at all. No. <laughs> And Sarah officiated Arthur's wedding this year. That's true, too. <laughs> My grandmother's awake in bed. A language I don't understand runs circles round her head. The words get jumbled on her lips won't come out to play I press my head against her chest her heartbeat seems to say still here still here you can miss me when I'm gone but I'll keep on holding on as long as I'm still fire, I've seen the storm. I took a stranger by the hand and tried to keep them warm. The buildings broke, the river rose at the hands of gods and men. They can break this city down to dust and we'll build it back again. Still But they won't destroy us, not as long as I'm still here. I walk these shoes until they're thin. I wandered halfway around the world, wandered back again. The road is long, the night is cold, when I'm out there on my own. Slit by the hallway lamp is how I know I'm home. Still here, still here, still here, still here. I can travel till I'm lost, but the prize is worth the cost as long as you're still here. Still here, still here, 
was awake again He knows that his cross to bear is the paper and the pen Our time upon the earth is short The end could be tonight He doesn't fear the end of times He fears he cannot write Here's a poem and a song to know that I'm still here. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. Thank you so much to all of you for listening. Thank you to Alex Siner and thank you to Arthur Lewis as well. Please do check out his episode. And if you enjoyed this episode with Sarah Kay, please leave a nice review. It means um, a lot for us and for our sponsors. And uh, if you want to find out more, go to employeeofthemonthshow.com. We have incredible episodes coming up with Zadie Smith, Edie Falco, and so much more. That's it. I'm Katie Lazarus, signing off. All right, 2 2017. Let's do it. <laughs>